The following podcast is a production of Hardly Awesome Studios in association with the network. Find us at BICBP-radio.com. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Silence Your Phones. Just as a reminder, this is a movie review podcast. And we've been a while. We've been a while. We've been away for a while. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Chavez. Here's your other host, Sean Fritz. He's back. He's back. Oh, He's back. in town. He's in state. He's in the studio. We are all back. It's been a while, man. You've had some. All of a sudden, you're this dude. I'm getting texts from you like, hey, I'm rubbing elbows with the stars. I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. Yeah. And I'm also like, I'm their right-hand man. Whoa. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, the dude wants to bring me around the country. And I don't know. He's asking me to dress in weird outfits, but I'm cool with it. And I'm like, ah, tell me more. He does have a suitcase that I tag along with all of his goodies in it. (laughs) I will will regale you with this real brief uh, thing, Chris. Uh, The man we're talking about, not the outfits, is Jim Shooter. Uh, I think we alluded (laughs) to it before, but I, I... I happened to be suggested by a friend of mine to be his assistant table hand, if you will, at, at GalaxyCon Raleigh, whatever month that was, the end of July, maybe. Right. And it's not COVID year anymore, but it still feels weird this year that we're already at the end of the year almost. And it's like, wait, where are we at? What month well, are we at now? We're at the end of the mask year or the the, the not requirements for masks at conventions again. Mm, it's coming so, back. Yeah, it's coming back. So I, I, I did that. Monday, I left for a work trip in, in New Jersey. Thursday night, while there, preparing to pack for my departure Friday morning to come home and have a weekend and, I don't know, record with you, maybe? <laughs> um, I get a call from Jim's agent. Hey, Jim's going to Roanoke on Saturday. Can you meet him there and work the <laughs> table? I'm like, well, I sure. Uh, so I do that. Uh, or I fly home, unpack, wash my clothes repack, get in the car, drive to Roanoke, which is a good three and a half hours, not on the highway, by the way. It's all back roads up and down the mountain. Hooray. Um, Have a good time with him. I roll in, set up. He shows up. He's like, oh, it's you. And uh, <laughs> and uh, we had a good time. But he has a suitcase that he pa- that he has all of his goodies in. He's got yeah. four of those flip books of you know, slip covers. And uh, in one of those flip books, Chris, he has um, in the sleeve in a hard plastic sleeve, in a thin flimsy plastic sleeve inside of it, uh, a, an original page, a George Perez page. Oh my God. Drawn with the, uh, from a book called Perez Accent on the First E. It's out of print. We looked for it. It's not cheap. Um, and he has an original, uh, there's a story that Jim tells that goes with it. So if you see him at a con, ask him about it. I don't want to steal his. I'm trying to get him to a podcast. Yeah, I got stories. you. But it, he, it's basically Jim, when he was 14, wrote the Legion of Superheroes for, for four years. He wow. wrote a comic book that was bought and published by DC Comics, which yeah, is wild. Yeah. And um, through a series of events, um, George drew these, these, uh, these, these characters in the suits that when Jim had, had uh, written the book. So yeah. he gave him that through a series of, uh, of events as a thank you but just looking at it i'm like oh that's nice and i see why he packs up his stuff every night instead of leaving it on the table my god though dude a george perez piece he's got a george or a george a jack kirby original in there too oh my god are you serious yeah oh yeah see i love that stuff man see that brings me back that love of comics and that love of because that's the era you know and we were just kind of talking about this off mic when i was talking about um you know, even with wrestling, right? Like I love the older stuff, the stuff I grew up with, the stuff I remember as being, you know, 
why I fell in love with it. And I can't really get into the stuff nowadays. And it feels that way with comics. Like it's rare where I really get excited about anything happening in comic books right now. Uh, but man, if, if you're telling me about George Perez works or Jack Kirby, Jim Shooter, I mean, you know, Jim Starlin, any of these guys, then you're just thinking, man, remember those days when there was just like, it just felt like everything was brand new and exciting. And it just feels like everything's just super recycled and redone and rebooted and, Ugh. Mm-hmm. Oh, ugh. He told me a story about meeting Jerry Robinson and a separate time, Bill Finger. Oh my God. That's awesome. I mean, it's like, dude, just randomly started talking about stuff. So yeah, see, that's cool stuff. Yeah. And he, he hold he's like Jim Steranko. If you've ever met him in a convention, it just holds court. Really? There's some guy that talked to him for almost three hours. One time I'm like, all right, this guy's got to go, but there's nobody in line. <laughs> so I was like, Jim, I'm going to walk over here. Nice. Yes, it's, but yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, after a year plus of not having a real convention to attend, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't in my office here yeah, and doing it remotely, it was really nice to get out. Even if I didn't travel outside the 20 to 30 feet from my table or I had access to the green room. Still to be there, right? Like to have that access Absolutely. or, or, or yeah. to, to be in the environment, dude. I just remember that's, Every time we the convention season came around and we walked in the doors, there was this thing of like, you just kind of breathe in and you're like, okay, we're at home right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're home. You're like, oh, that's this where, is the, where we're I'm supposed to check to this out. You go window shopping beforehand. You're like, all right, mm-hmm. these guys are going to be here. I'm not going to mess with them because they got that wall rack they're setting up. You know, the, you know, there's the a whole... smell in the air of all the people who have brought food that are starting to get things ready. And like the popcorn people or the vendors are starting to get their food going. And there's it's the, the smell. Bustle of old comic books oh, starts to permeate the air yes. too. Yes. Yes, dude. I know what you're talking about. I haven't been to a con in a long time. I'm missing that. I've started going back to shows again. So that's been fun. Mm. It's got that kind of crazy energy. Um, but yeah, we're referencing the fact that it's been a while that we did the show because you've been busy doing this. I've been busy going to shows. Like one weekend mm-hmm. I drove out to Long Island to see a two night show at, uh, oh, you've been Amityville. living your life is what you're saying. Yeah, basically Amityville oh, Music shame. Hall. Uh, and oh. it was a good time. It was a, uh, it was Wait, you went to Radio Shack Music Hall, uh, Amityville Music Hall. Oh, big difference. Yes. Yes. We went out to Long Island. We went to Amityville. I went by the house, the Amityville house, which, um, it was a weird feeling dude, because it, in my mind, I kind of already knew it, you know, that it was going to be a house. It was going to be just in a neighborhood type of a thing. But when you actually drive in the neighborhood and you're going by just regular houses and this dude's sitting out here watering his lawn, and then there's this other house over here with like, you know, a little plastic tricycle in the front yard. And then there it is like, oh, that's the house right there. And it's just right there in the neighborhood. And you take a picture of it and it's kind of weird that it's right there. But then there's this other feeling that kind of comes over you where you're looking at it. You're going damn dude that's the house where that guy went kind of crazy and killed his entire family and then that's the house that kind of has this weird you know story behind it the the whole all those movies came from that uh it was a cool feeling it was cool being out there but yeah i went to the shows and it's been uh it's been kind of a weird feeling Mm -hmm. going back into this kind that thing you know what i mean uh i was at this past weekend this yesterday two days ago friday i was at a show here in town uh, everybody with masks on, everybody had to wear masks. That's, that's what they said. Um, it's just, I don't know. I haven't been to a con yet though. And, and, and I miss it, dude. I, I, if we have a chance at hitting one before everything gets shut down again, I might, I might try to hit it because you're right. There's you walk in and you smell it and you just look around the sounds of it, the, the, the visuals. It's like you're home. Yeah. This is, great, this dude. is familiar. This is it's what great. I was missing. And it's yeah, great. It, it, it's great. I mean, I worked, I, I mean, we had a table in Fayetteville in, at the end of June. That was the first one. And mm-hmm. then I worked with Jim at GalaxyCon, uh, which I probably wouldn't have attended. I'm not really big on GalaxyCons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then Roanoke, when I went to Roanoke at uh, Big Lick Comic Con, which is what Roanoke used to be called, by the way, before mm-hmm. you get perverted. <laughs> this is a very peculiar name, though. Um, yeah. So, so it's, uh, you know, and, and I know the guy that runs it, you know, we had a table there in October of last year when it was a mask requirement or you get the hell out. Nice. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it's a nice return to what used to be. Um, but you know, some things are always the same logic and common sense are for some people hard to come by, you know, anyway, 
All right, dude, let's do this. Let's, yeah, let's do. Let's, let's actually talk about what we're here to do. <laughs> let's talk about the movie we're talking about this week. Almost forgot what it was. It's been so long. Uh, this week, we're jumping back in and kind of ending out our kind of Robert De Niro-ish gangster films. It feels like we were following those for a little while there. Yeah, we're uh, not quite a through line, but maybe it was, maybe it was <laughs> and I didn't notice it. You know what? Next movie is going to be in the Robert De Niro anyway. So this yeah, one true. <laughs> we discussed is... Uh, <laughs> 1993 American coming of age crime drama, A Bronx Tale. All these years, what have I been telling you? Yeah, I know. Stay in school, get two educations. I know. That's right. This is my life, not yours. This is not for you. No guns. I first met Sonny in 1960. I was nine years old. He was the number one man in the neighborhood. And as I grew, he grew in power. He became a boss, and I was his friend. I wonder why. I don't care. In a world called the Bronx. Look, I'm your father. I love you. You're breaking my heart. Sonny, trust me. That man can never trust anybody. The sooner you know that, the better. He was caught in a tug of war between his hardworking father. I tell you something, to go to school, to go to... You don't understand. It's not what you say. It's what he sees. It's the clothes, it's the cars, it's the money. I treat that kid like he's my son. He ain't your son. He's my son. And the man who owned the neighborhood. Don't you trust anybody? No. It's a horrible way to live. For me, it's the only way. Is it better to be loved or feared? I would rather be feared. Because fear lasts longer than love. <laughs> What was I gonna do? Run away? Make people think I got no heart? I mean, what makes you think you're so special? Mm. He'll hurt you like anybody. Mm. Sometimes hurting somebody ain't the answer. I know who you are, Sonny, and I know what you could do. This time you're wrong. You don't fool the man's family. So what are you gonna do? Fight this? Stay away from my son! Robert De Niro, Jazz Palminteri. You worry about yourself, your family, and the people that are close to you. That's what it comes down to. A Bronx Tale. You told me this, and I did not know this, that this was actually adapted from a play by Chaz Palamitari. A one-man play. Which I love. Have you ever watched one-man shows? Uh, no. If done right, dude, they can be some amazing shows. The one I always point to that I always, like, for some reason, it, it hit me a certain way when I watched it, and I absolutely loved it is John Leguizamo's Freak. I heard that was really good. I haven't Dude, seen it. It's an old one. It's from like early 2000s, maybe, um, mm-hmm. where he just basically tells the story of his growing up in, in New York in the 70s and 80s and with his family and friends and all the different kinds of, you know, cultures around where he was growing up. But it's amazing, dude. He plays like every character in his family, every character, like his friends and stuff. And after a while, you get lost in the storytelling. It's like you can kind of see the, just the scene unfold with one person. So when done right, it can be, you know, really powerful. And I got to be honest, I want to see if I, there's anywhere that this is available for me to see uh, Chaz's show, because I would love to see how he does this. Oh, he still does it. What? He's in he's he's actually this weekend. He's in I believe he's in the Bucks County Playhouse in uh what? Just north of Philadelphia. Yeah, he still does it. There's a um, here, Chris, I will direct you to. Oh, yeah, I've got to go check this out. dude. I will direct you to the uh, August 19th, 2021 podcast episode of the Preston and Steve show. They're out of Philadelphia. OK. Um, and Chaz Palminteri um, goes he goes in there every time he's in town and they did a it looks like about a 25 minute interview with him. Um, and just about everything, his career and everything, but he always bring, he is such a good promoter when he interviews about this and if he's promoting anything, but he will bring it back to, he will find the perfect segue to bring it back to, you know, uh, see watching, uh, a murder take place on, you know, on that block yeah. or what his father said, or yeah. a lot of the things that are in the, the play in the movie, you know, that him and De Niro opted to keep and, and whatever, but yeah, it's. He is a master craftsman at, you know, promoting his play. And he still does. Like I said, he still does it. And he's how old. Oh, I've got to check it out, dude, because I'll tell you this movie. My dad showed me this movie when I was younger. My dad was the one that always showed me a lot of De Niro's work. You know, he showed me The Godfather, Goodfellas, these movies. But he showed me what he didn't show you. What's that? 
that one we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, I don't even remember. Charles Grodin. Um, mm. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that uh, Midnight Run. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. He didn't. I didn't see that one. Uh, but this one he showed me, dude. And I remember watching it, just being like, I loved it. I loved everything about it because having already been kind of enamored by mafia movies, watching this little kid, you know, it, it felt like I could relate to this little kid standing on the corner looking at the gangsters growing up, you know, while he's growing up on the, on, on the stoop, but always having that kind of, what would it be like to be a part of that, you know, and then kind of getting sucked into it. So you kind of got to live vicariously through that. And that's what the story is. Uh, apparently it's, it's based on Palamentari's life, but it's about this kid growing up in, in New York. Um, his dad's a bus driver, a city bus driver. And this kid grows up watching the gangsters that are, you know, that work the corner and, and have the, the, uh, the social club on the corner there. So he goes and he starts hanging out. He ends up, because, you know, the gangsters, he, oh, he witnessed first. The big thing is, is that he witnesses, he witnesses a dude get shot right in front of him, right? The, the gangsters come in and take out this guy over a parking space. So it seems. That was like an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, right. When they're fighting <laughs> over the parking space, dude. Uh, and then so what ends up happening, the cops come up and ask the, the kid to come down. And so De Niro's the father and he brings this kid down. And uh, they ask him to look at all these guys and point out who was the shooter. And he doesn't, he doesn't squeal on anyone. He just says he doesn't know any of it. And these gangsters are like, that's awesome. We appreciate what you did. Let us take care of you. And De Niro's like, no, thank you. You know, we're, we're honest people. Just let us live our lives. Don't worry about us. And a but, very tense scene, by the way. Yeah. Like, inc- like we watched it, the two, actually the three of us watched it. Yeah. And it was like, Ooh, snap what's gonna happen here like yeah. there's no giveaways which was nice the thing i liked about it and, and this is what they kind of really portray a lot of times in terms of the mob in in this regard the italian mafia is that there is a somewhat code right there's a mm-hmm. code you don't there you don't rules. attack civilians yeah. you don't just do that right so like there's still this kind of understanding that this is a civilian that maybe he is a little more forward than most would be with this guy, right? This, this, this mobster who's at the level that he is. However, the mobster does understand in a way, this guy is standing up for his own family. So there's an honor in that. And there's an understanding, but there's still this line. You step one more step over. Now we're going to have a problem, Mm -hmm. but De Niro doesn't not yet. Mm -hmm. Right? Like he does it to that point to get his point across. Like, listen, no, thank you. We appreciate it, but we're going to do our thing. But this kid can't let it go, man. Him and his friends just idolize these guys. So the second he has a chance to get in there and help them out, he's all of a sudden like bringing beers to the guys for tips at the at the bar. He's he's at the craps games with the you know they're playing craps and he's like helping them helping them throw dice and he's making tips that way. There comes this one scene where like the the mom finds this big wad of money under the kid's like mattress or something. It's like behind the dresser, which That's what it is. like I guess wedged in between the, the wall and the and the back of the like, dresser. Like, where did you get this? And he's like, you know, I worked for it. It's my tips. <laughs> and so they go down to the, the father that and right De Niro's like, no, 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 we're gonna return this. The mother's like, Well, hang on a second, because let's yeah. think about how much money this is. <laughs> yeah, that I thought that was kind of funny. I, I mean, yeah. it, it was and De Niro played it perfectly, like like the honest hardworking maybe i hate my job maybe i'm a little put upon yeah but you know played it perfectly in in how he yeah and that's that's one of the lessons in this film like there's this 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 thing that happens where he he says this thing to his son right because his son looks at these gangsters like these are tough men and these are the tough guys and his his dad's trying to tell him listen the real tough guy is the guy that works every day that goes to the job that he hates just because he has to take care of his family. It's easy to pull a trigger. Anyone can do that, right? But to actually do what you don't want to have to do and grind at it and literally lose your soul every day so you can provide for your family, it's like, that's the tough guy. I saw the, the clip you sent me was Parliamentary talking about it. And he was saying, you know, that's something his dad told him because Parliamentary is the kid in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's the kid growing up watching these guys. Now in the movie, Parliamentary plays the, the mobster, the head mobster of the corner there, the, the neighborhood. And um, so, yeah, you know, De Niro says we're taking the money back. He goes down, gives him the money back, says, listen, no, he's not going to be a part of this. I don't want you guys talking to my son. I don't want him around here, but it just doesn't matter. Right. We get a little bit of fast forward. The son's growing up. Now the kids are older. He's like, what, maybe 16, 17, 17. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's what is it like living during that time? 
you know, the sixties in New York city. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this. We were talking about this. It's a lot of stuff that's, you know, doesn't go okay right now, but it's, it was of the time. Like when you have the African-Americans coming through certain words that are used, there's a lot of racial slurs in this. There's a lot of racial tension in this movie as well, because mm-hmm. what they're doing is really depicting what it was like in that time between the Italians and the African-American community. There was a lot of distrust and they didn't like each other. And it was a lot of racial, you know, racial tension there. So we see a lot of this in this, in this movie. Uh, we see a lot of what it was like for, for a kid to grow up just during this time. Like, you remember what it's like when you're 15, 16, 17, hormones raging, you're falling in love, right? We get every single day. We get <laughs> we get kind of a Romeo and Juliet kind of story as well. Like the, yeah. the two lovers that aren't supposed to be, it's not okay for them to be, right? Yeah, I, I, there, there's that. There's there's a lot of this is our turf, you know, yeah. our neighborhood, so to speak. Yeah, there's a know, lot of West Side block. story in yep. this. But right? it's you know, those are those are forever tropes and themes that those tropes and themes play out always for always and forever (laughs) Um, yeah 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 it's it's a it's a running theme that it will never get old it's it's a tale as old as time but it's also you know a true-to-life standard that always happens it's yeah you know it's like you can't write this stuff because i mean it's stuff that's wrote um because it's so common it's so it's like uh, a husband and wife yeah. Oh, that's so, you know, it's gotta be a relationship angle. Yeah. But no, you know, man, there doesn't need to be, but, but, but beyond <laughs> that, um, you know, but, yeah, but there's, is... there's, a, there's a romantic something going on. Well, people have emotions. That's kind of how it happens sometimes. Yeah. And this is parliamentary story about growing up and, you know, he's including a time when he's, you know, the romantic part or whatever it is. But the idea is, is this kid is it's the coming of age, right? Where he's now at a point where he's got, two male figures in his life that he looks up to. And both of those figures lead two different paths in the world. And so he can choose which way does he want to go? Does he want to go the route of the man that he's kind of idolized in terms of what he thinks a a, a hero is or a tough guy is and live that, you know, life or does he, yeah. Yeah. Or does he live what his dad's life is where it's about being an honest person, putting in your honest work in this world, you know, and trying to be a good person and live life. Um, that's what the story really is, but it's an, for me, I remember finished watching it and I, I fell in love with it. You know, when I grew up, when I was old enough and I was, you know, moving out on my own, get my own DVD collection and stuff. It was something I owned immediately had to have it. I've seen it a few times, but I hadn't seen it in a long time until, you know, a month ago when we, we decided to, to do this episode and I watched it. But yeah, dude, for me, it still held up. I really enjoyed this movie in terms of the plot. Like it's a solid, solid plot. And you do feel like you're in that world. It, like there's nothing in this that takes me out of it. No, no. It, I mean, it's, it's very much, you know, it, it's, it's not like, it's not fantastical. Like when we watch wow. the Sandlot and that giant dog just <laughs> no. shows up, um, you know, it, it's got an ending but it's not like Goodfellas with the ending. It's just kind of like, all right, so that closes this chapter in the book. Right. So to speak in the story. Um, there's more, mm-hmm. but we don't know what it is, what happened. I mean, you could probably read a, an autobiography at some point, but right. You know, it's, it's not I'm sure he said it, fantastic. I'm sure he said it thing. somewhere in an interview where they're just like, so what happened after like, what's going on after that in your life? You know, he's like, Hey, I'm in movies. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did the play and now you're sitting here talking to me. I'm not talking mm-hmm. to you. You're talking to me. No, but you're right. It's not like there's this finality to it. It's this kind of like, we brought you into this kid's life. We fast forward for a little bit now, and now we've left you where he kind of is going to have to mull over some of the things that have just happened because these are what shapes him. And he'll look back at as life lessons. So that's when that we pull away now, and that's the end of our story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know the only person, you know, his family, his his biological family, assumptively is still intact. Or his mom just kind of disappears halfway through the movie, or yeah. at least maybe she was busy on another. I don't know. She 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 was she didn't have a trailer, so she couldn't. I don't. She didn't have, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as important to the plot. Yeah. Really. The story she was, was there for the development of, of when he's little and you need mm-hmm. the guidance of your mother too. But as the adult part, now it's his friends, the, story the guy is his he friends, idolizes his dad and his dad. And yeah. Sonny, yep. 
Yeah, and the girl, you know, that he was into, which is weird because you think the mom would have a say in that part, want to talk to him, you know, Uh, at the time. I mean, you think about at the time, the culture and the 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 year being Mm -hmm. what uh, late sixties, early seventies, maybe was you do what dad, you know, the the man of the house is the dad, you know, the the decision maker is the dad in in a lot of cultures even still, which is weird, but mm-hmm. you know, my house, my rules doesn't always apply. Right. Which was weird that his dad, like the, typically you show the Italian father as that iron fist. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the opposite of the way De Niro was, or, or even parliamentary, you know, shows his dad to be, he's a, he's a tougher man, but there's a lot of compassion and love and caring mm-hmm. in the way he's, he's a tougher guy. Well, he does the thing where he wants his son to have a better life than he did. So he mm-hmm. sees the way his dad and on the on his Wikipedia, it says that his grandfather was Italian. The hard as nails birth. guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. you get up, you work, you come home, you don't complain about it. You do it again the next day. And um, so, you know, his so to put it in perspective, his grandparents were married in 1908. Wow. Okay. So you see, you know, it's that it's that type of generation. Uh, so so it's it's basically just that from Italy, you know, and probably not the what's the word I'm looking for? Not the most calm and understanding of emotions and, yeah. you know, concern with that as well. Uh, and, and you know, and uh, Lorenzo taking that exact opposite approach of I'm going to but also I'm going to provide for my kid. And help him out a little bit because you know that's kind of what Teach you're supposed lessons, to do. Is right, yeah, right. So, so I can appreciate that forward thinking in the '60s and even portrayed in the '90s because that's kind of how society has started to bend for the better. By the way, yeah. I, hot take. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, pretty good. Yeah, um, that we're not beating the crap out of kids anymore, or uh, yeah, given that yeah. hard, hard edge. This yeah. is how it must be. Knife edge oh, yeah. chops. You always do. Yeah. You want to make it better. Yeah, uh, had absolutely. you seen this before? No. First time. I, I, I knew of the the very broad strokes, mm-hmm. but not of the uh, all the details that, that take place in the movie. Um, what do you think of it? Plot the points. plot overall. The plot was, I mean, it, it was basically a story of, you know, the, the I guess the impactful points of a childhood um, from a perspective that I had no idea about. Spoiler alert, there were no murders on my block when I when <laughs> right I grew in front up. of you. <laughs> no, there was uh there was a whole it was a dead end street. There were four houses, not a whole lot of activity. Uh, you know, the biggest activity we had was when they expanded the highway out front <laughs> from three to five lanes. Woo. But beyond that, um, you know, the you know the the, the total impact you had on your childhood. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't watch this movie in my childhood either. I'd be like, well, that's weird. <laughs> we watched gems such as roger rabbit and who for, uh and uh the never-ending story also not a well you could you could check out our review in the archives for that um uh but uh you know it was just in watching it for the first time uh you know, i thought the plot was great it, it didn't have to have like i said those acts of fantastical nature right uh it was just a life you know it made it believable that it was oh this guy's in high school he's cutting school i never did that by the way um, just lunch period because I don't know, who did because it did. Um, but it, it it was you know uh, there's a love story in there and you know it, it was just you know and and family and extended family and friends things that everybody can relate to. So so I I thought it was the 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 plot and the story was really solid and it was longer than normal too. Uh, well, yeah. two hours, Typically. 120 minutes. By today's standards, it's it's it drones on and on, but you know, it's yeah. I thought it was I thought it was just the right. I don't believe that I checked the time at all on this one. And no. you knew who everybody was in the movie. So you're like, oh look, it's that's that guy, it's that guy, it's this person, it's that person. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you've watched the Sopranos. Exactly. Speaking or Goodfellas. Of, yeah. Or any um, of the other mob movies yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, speaking of, let's get into the cast, dude. Robert De Niro, there you go. That's your big. That's one of your big headliners. Because even Parliamentary at the time is a pretty big, big time actor. Uh, he's a name. Oh yeah. Uh, at the time. 
was he? Was yeah, he's a pretty sport? decent name at the time. Um, he'd been he'd had a few movies by then, didn't mm. he? Oh, that's right. He played Hood Number Two in The Last Dragon. Hey, remember that's, that's right. right. Yeah, well, Robert De Niro plays Lorenzo the father, and I think we've already discussed like the way he portrays this guy. Mm. You know, very compassionate, caring, and loving for his son, but still very like, listen, I'm the father, and so mm. if I say this is how it's going to go, this is how it's going to go, and I expect you to just do it. He didn't. Spoiler alert. No, not at all. And but, uh, yeah, but you know, he's uh, I thought he did. You know, I love De Niro. I always say this. I love his his acting. I love this guy. Um, everything I've ever seen him in, I always just feel like, golly, this guy just takes this role and makes it his own. You know, because this mm-hmm. time you see him and you believe he's this dad that's a struggling bus driver. You know, mm-hmm. the guy that works hard. You don't see him as like because when he goes, like you said, when he goes up against Palomitari, you're not looking at De Niro as as a mobster where like, Oh, now you're going to watch two mobsters go at it. You're looking at him as this father. Who's like, Oh dude, watch yourself. Cause this guy has no problem shooting you down too. If you overstep and you yeah. feel that in his performance, that he's got a vulnerability to him. Well, and you know, you put De Niro shorter than Palmentary as well. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know how tall he is, but either actually <laughs> get, what's, what, get on your game. Wikipedia. Why don't you have their height? <laughs> they don't have heights. Come on. What the hell? No, but uh, it's, you know, De Niro is much shorter as well. So it's like, and he doesn't come up with him with that bravado of, you know, I'm, I'm going to have that, yeah. that frowny scowl on my face yeah. and, you know, you know, extending his face, giving himself some yeah. jowls and, <laughs> um, or, and he's not wearing a suit or a suit yeah. jacket. That's he's wearing a white main... t-shirt, like a, a working man's thing. Just the white undershirt. Yeah, or at, at one point, isn't he wearing like a canvas tuxedo? Was he? Was he wearing a tuxedo? Well, not oh. a tuxedo. It was, I mean, it was a canvas. It's like the Canadian tuxedo. Was I think he was wearing, maybe he was wearing some, what he, he had to that, wear like for the work jumper. For, for, for work, his uh, uniform. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a green. Something like that. Almost like, not quite coveralls or like, like a jumpsuit. But... Back in those days, those the bus drivers had to wear those jackets, you know, the slacks, the certain whatever, so. Yeah, but he also talked like things that mob that you know people in the mob presumably don't talk about being someone who's not currently or ever also no future aspirations uh <laughs> of being in the mob he talks about baseball with yeah with his son so i don't know that many you know those in the mob talk about that or did or whatever i think they talk about other things like gabagool and you know <laughs> <laughs> insert another fat tony Um, you know audio clip but yeah dude so De Niro I mean again uh, for me you can't go wrong with him but Chaz Palamentari too Mm -hmm. now this guy now he's the top guy right he's the mobster that everyone's looking to and I feel like he plays the same thing like that kind of very reserve and almost in his delivery there's this coolness to him there's this thing that you know that even though he seems like he's nice and a cool dude and like, he's just kind of chill, like within minutes, you could be dead. You know what I mean? Fight. Like there's the, there's the shooting, there's the bar fight, dude. When he just goes over, locks the doors, like, all right, now you're not going to leave. Like, mm-hmm. Oh shit. Or even when, um, when, uh, see the kid, you know, when he thought maybe he set him up with the car bomb thing, remember? Mm-hmm. And he just grabbed him by the throat and shoves him against the wall. And you're, you're and this kid now is like, now he's terrified because this doesn't make sense. This is the guy that's supposed to be almost like a father figure to him, but this guy's about to kill him and has no problem doing it. Mm-hmm. And for this kid, he's thinking to himself, what happened to loyalty? Why wouldn't you be loyal to me if I'm as loyal as I am to you? You know what I mean? You don't trust me kind of a thing. And he's like, no, I don't trust anyone. You know? Well, yeah. And famous last words, I guess, but words to not live by. Yeah. But also, I mean, think about it too. You know, De Niro Lorenzo played Lorenzo, his biological father, playing, you know, uh, Palminteri playing um, Sonny, his muse, I guess, mm-hmm. what, what, you know, his his neighborhood inspiration and hero. You know, he does, there, there are a lot of parallels to a father. You know, he's like, oh, don't hang out with those guys. They'll get you in trouble. And then, when he eventually finds them when they have those Molotovs in their car yeah, and he says, come on, get out of the car, basically following up on the, I told you not to, what are you doing yeah. here? Type yeah, thing. Yeah, you yeah. Know, These kids I told you idiots. once, I told you a million times. And then he's just smacks the kid's head into the dashboard. Uh, yeah. And then he just, 
then he gets out. No, he doesn't smack C's head. He smacks right, right. one of the guys, one of his friends. But yeah, uh, also fun little sentence here. Uh, Chas Palminteri, he struggled to become an actor, splitting his time between acting in off-Broadway plays and moonlighting as a bouncer. Makes sense. Dolph Lundgren. Get out of here, dude. What are the chances? That's amazing. Did they ever do a movie together? Uh, we have to know. find it. We'll find that at some point, but that's Pro- amazing. Masters dude. of the universe, probably. <laughs> no, but Chaz, dude. Yeah. Again, another for me, a top performance in this. Uh, okay. So Fa- Francis, well, Capra. he knows, oh. well, he knows the, the subject matter better than anyone as well. So I would think that I would hope. Oh yeah. Phrase. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, dude. Francis Capra, the little kid who plays little Caligero. Nine the years little- old, right? Yes. Come on, man. Did it was it just me or like I saw this kid and I'm like with his little New York accent, his little Bronx accent, right? Like this little kid had to charm the crap out of like all all those casting agents the way he came in because the way he delivers his lines, this kind of like matter of factness, but with that accent, it's just too funny, man. I remember I was watching this kid and every time he's like talking to his parents, like with the, almost this kind of attitude of, of like like. What do you want from me? Come on. You know what I mean? Like, this Walk's is what I'm here. <laughs> but coming from this little kid, dude, with this little attitude, it was so fucking funny, man. This He's little like, kid was awesome. I like this kid. Okay. This kid would be perfect to play Joe C's entire life. <laughs> um, from those of you who don't know, Joe C used to be the little person that until his death was with Kid Rock. Dude, you know, this- what, what was he like? Two foot tall with a 10 foot um um appendage something like that yeah. yeah but this little kid man with his little like his little italian afro going and his little attitude like man i was just and, and we always talk about this right like you talk about movies and child actors and the children in films and you need them to portray a certain role and play a certain way and sometimes it's hit or miss sometimes you're gonna get kids where it's like oof man like who worked with this kid in terms of how to play this character I feel like this kid was like that. Like this is this little kid probably had attitude and gave his mom lip all the time with that little, you know what I mean? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I thought he just watched it. Or did he just mimic De Niro? And yeah, <laughs> you know, that's he's watching all the old De Niro stuff, like his gangster stuff. He's like, yeah, just talk like that. Uh, bad news. There's been no crossover between Chaz Palminteri and Dolph oh, Lundgren. That's too bad, man. Um, all right, older, all okay, older Caligero. He was Lilo Brancato Jr. So this Oof. guy, um, he was he, you know, he's been in the he's played mobster stuff before, or, or since then, like he started out doing this stuff. He he's done that mobster stuff before. One of the things I saw was that he got cast for this role. I saw an interview with him. He was talking about like he and his friends were at the beach because they had heard that there was a lot of movies that are getting ready to shoot down there. They were about to shoot Bronx Tale, and that they were doing some sort of casting. Uh, for Robert De Niro's kid at a certain age and his friends kept telling him he should try out for it and he said he didn't want to do it so they were at the beach and apparently some of the casting people had gone to the beach for the day to just kind of get away and relax and somebody looked over at him and was almost like this kid looks just like De Niro we got to go and see if he wants to do this and that's how he got cast for this piece Um, yeah he was cast in prison for a while too yeah, he definitely. Yeah, he went to prison uh, right after this. He got into some, you know, he he did some stuff that probably wasn't a good thing. Uh, drugs, yeah. alcohol, cocaine, heroin. Um, yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff, man. But so, oh, apartment robbery. I saw that one too. He's been Murder. in and out of jail. I think he got out of jail uh, recently, and he's been much better. Mm-hmm. I saw him on an interview. So there's um a real mobster. His name's uh, Michael Francisi. Mm. Um he's no longer in it right he's one of these guys that kind of got out of it and got out of it without anything happening to him but now he goes around and does lectures and talks on like bettering your life and coming to jesus and all that stuff but it, he is very frank about what kind of stuff they did in in the 80s oh francisi's the guy that ran a huge like um gasoline scam oil scam in the 80s like a huge one like made billions off of it hmm. but is that the one that um that the uh the gang from it's always Sunny tried to emulate probably dude i haven't seen that one but probably that sounds about right (laughs) it it, it's more real world with covid than you think oh my god it's it's oh no uh, i'm sorry not covid the uh the pipeline shut down 
couple months oh, back. Oh, yeah. No, so it yeah. Was, but Francisi has this YouTube show where he talks about gangster movies and stuff, and he does an interview with Lilo, uh, this actor. And they talk about this role in a Bronx tale, and he talks about his experience working with De Niro and, and Pelimentary and, and that stuff. And for me, he's I feel like he's pretty good, but you can tell he's green. You can tell mm -hmm. he's not like stiff a, a, in his yeah. acting a little There's bit. Some his range is, range is a little narrow. Yeah. It looks yeah, the part, yeah. but it's narrow in, in range. Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of lends, I feel like that lends though to the realism of what we're watching. Cause you know, it's set in the time era. So when you see somebody that's not a name, right? Somebody who you're looking at and saying, oh, this is so-and-so in the movie playing this character. We see somebody who now this is the character. This is who he is. So we're seeing a normal person in their life, not trying to act. If that well, makes and sense. It also makes him seem, the character seem naive, which yes. I think that's what they were going for as well. Yes. Um, maybe not a happy accident, but seemed to work out in their favor, I'd, I'd say. Exactly. Um, how about Jane? That was the girl that he was into, Taral, Taral Hicks. She was in it. I feel like she was just kind of like there to serve the purpose of making sure we knew he was interested in her. There was not much range there either. No, definitely not. But it was also because she was black and still is. Yeah. Uh, and in another neighborhood another part of town it was as you said before that romeo and juliet type yep. thing and nobody was a fan of it mm -mm, not not on either side uh catherine narducci plays rosina his mother if you've seen the sopranos this is uh charmaine buco Artie buco's wife in the sopranos the uh the restaurateur for me she was exactly what you expect from an italian mother Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? She just played the Italian mother perfect to a T. She has that that Italian, that New York accent. She's got the the attitude. Mm -hmm. She has even the even the voice. She's got and that strong voice, that mother's voice. You know what I mean? Got those mannerisms and everything. Uh, uh, then, uh then we uh what's up? Hold on, hold on. Uh when I was going through the a few minutes ago, when I was going through the uh, cast just to mm -hmm. see what else they had been in, um I saw 2014 says Jersey boys. However, the play or the movie, the movie. Uh, however, I read it as the 2014 movie, the jerky boys. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> that would have been awesome, dude. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hey, how do you say that flapjack? Mm -hmm. uh, that's awesome, dude. Um, who else is in this movie? Let's see. We've got uh, Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci shows up at the end as a cameo. He's the guy at the very beginning who is supposed, you know, he's trying to get this parking spot and uh, somebody you just jumps went out. into a Joe Pesci right there trying to get this parking spot. <laughs> and then all of a sudden this guy jumps out and, and bashes his windshield in with a baseball bat. And that's when Pelimentary's character steps in and just pops the other guy and kills him in the mm -hmm. street. It was basically to protect Joe Pesci's character. And at the end of the film, we have him show up and uh 17 year old uh Colagero now is like, Oh, so you're the guy that was there. And he says, you know, so this was all over a parking spot at that time. And, and you, that's when you find out, no, nah, it obviously wasn't, there was more mm -hmm. to it with it, the way that all went down. And it's kind of like that. I don't know. For me, it was like that one more piece to kind of really get into this kid's head that like, that's not the world you want. Do you know what I mean? Like something like that can happen and somebody's life can be taken out that fast and predetermined and planned even to make it look like it was something random. Like mm -hmm. you don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. It's uh, it's, there's always a bigger story to tell. Yes. Um, then the rest of the cast is basically a, a who's who of mob films and mob TV shows and just any, anybody that you see in the background of, of these kinds of films, any that are mobster films, you're going to see these guys on film. Um, I, some of these names, I don't even know. So we have a, uh, oh, I knew Joe D'Onofrio. Uh, I've seen him in a bunch of other movies. He actually was the friend of, he's the, when they're 17, year old, 17 years old, he's a college, one of college arrows friends. Um, Dominic Lombardozzi, Eddie Montanaro, Dave Salerno. You know any of these? No, but the funny thing is a lot of, uh, a lot of these are, you know, just in the hover over their Wikipedia. It's like, oh, he's also played in The Wire, Criminal Number Two, Tale, Entourage, yeah. The Irishman, Number One, Goodfellas. You know, there's just yeah. 
it's like, all right, yeah, we get it. These guys. Caserta. Like, here are their names. Okay, I'm going to give you their character names. There's Jimmy Whispers. There's Slick. Bobby Bars. Nikki Zero. Frankie Coffee Cake. Crazy Mario. Danny K.O. Jojo the Whale. My favorite, by the way. <laughs> so that's what you got, right? And Ralphie. That's what you got. You got all of these, these character actors that are typically... You see him on the sidelines. Uh, and when you see them, you're just like, oh, that's the guy from that other movie that's in the background. The guy from that thing, you know. So they serve their purpose. They serve to to accentuate the environment that we're in with these mobsters. Don't know that I could say much more about that. No, but I mean. <laughs> they serve the, their purpose. Exactly. I, I, you know, and it's. They aren't the. They're, they're just the supporting characters, the supporting. Exactly. Um, you know, you know who they are. Watch the right, damn movie. Let's move on to the uh, the soundtrack. This had a soundtrack. This had that 1960s, like late 50s doo-wop stuff too was in there because obviously that was still going to permeate the streets when he's growing up. Uh, but yeah, you know, then we get into the 60s and we have 60s music. I'm trying to find where's the, the soundtrack on here. It's uh, so it's not unlike uh, a Bronx or this is a Bronx tale, Sean. Uh, it's not unlike um, Goodfellas, where it was very much specific to within reason, uh, specific to the time. So it was like you said that that music time that what you would hear. There's also a lot of sound design with you know the streets, the neighborhood. Yeah, a lot of just hustle and bustle. Um, you know, it's a it's an Ita- it's an Italian mob film, so you know it's going to have Dean Martin, mm-hmm. like Dean Martin's on there. You know, I'm surprised they didn't have Frankie. They didn't have Frank. Uh, they didn't have Frank Sinatra, but they did have the Four Tops, Jimi Hendrix, all along was, the Watchtower. Was Frank Sinatra at the? I don't think he was a big name yet at the time, was he? Was he yet? I'm not sure. Yeah, because he was an actor in the in the 50s, wasn't he? 40s and 50s, and doing his singing during that time. The big band. He was out of the big band era by then. What, what it wasn't. Was it this movie that said that you have to have three people in your uh, on your wall in the house, or was that Goodfellas? No, that's Goodfellas. Yeah. Okay. Dion and the Belmonts. Uh, you know, Della Reese is on this. I mean, this is an amazing soundtrack. If, if anything, Aaron Neville, young Aaron Neville, uh, Wilson Pickett, Four Tops, The Impressions, James Brown. This is a, literally a deep and very very good soundtrack. Like you said, it's the soundtrack of the times. And it feels like when you have these kinds of movies, it's a must to have some of these songs on your soundtrack or else it doesn't feel like the era. It's, it's very much like Forrest Gump's soundtrack, the original one, yeah. you know, where it's, I think that one was a two tape, yeah, two cassette tape, yeah. and then eventually two discs. Two but discs, it was yeah. so many of like, it, like, like what the Guardian soundtrack has become, but that's not time sensitive, like right. or time focused like this one is. It's just great songs from those eras that are represented in the movie. And it's and a, they're, to, the songs themselves are actually representative of their era. That's why people mm-hmm. choose these songs or they have exactly. the feel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for me, whoever was in charge, if it was De Niro that said, listen, these are the songs I want, get the clearance. If it was parliamentary, whoever it was, man, killed it on point. I loved mm-hmm. it. I loved it from the beginning, the old street doo-wop sounds and even talks about it, right? Like growing up, the sound on the streets were these four guys that stood on the corner and just kind of sang. It was all acapella, this doo-wop sound. Um, and then you have it all. You have everything else throughout the movie that plays through all the way down to Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower. Because when you're in the 60s now, that's the feel now. Now you're thinking the Vietnam era. So these mm-hmm. are the songs that are playing at the time, even though there, you don't see any copters, you don't see any military, you just, you're in the Bronx and it's still part of the, the soundtrack of the time. Yeah, and even though that wasn't a Jimi Hendrix original, right? You know, it. I mean, listen to the Bob Dylan version. Bob Dylan, yeah. And it's let's just say a little different. <laughs> but, but, but Jimmy made it memorable, man. And and the Vietnam War, the images that they've put to it since mm-hmm. that all come. You know, anytime you hear all on the Watchtower, you it, it's almost given that you're also going to hear the. <laughs> The, the copters right mm-hmm. and you see the sun kind of going down with these copters going over vietnam and mm-hmm. it's always got that feel something with saigon in there somewhere somewhere right um so yeah for me this this soundtrack was on point it's usually a wide like a wide shot too yeah it's 
helicopters yes. flying in, into the the vanishing point, which is the sun. And it's all and it's all just silhouetted because obviously the sun in the background, and it's got that waviness too, like backlight, like yeah, the, the hit, the or heat in the light, air. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the 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 heat. The heat waves or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. everything uh, except it, the sun yeah yeah geez i mean it, it, it evokes good. that imagery we know the point we're making yeah <laughs> all right what else you got to say about yeah. the soundtrack dude anything um uh oh yeah, yes uh there's one thing um they also had like uh baseball announcers on there yeah because that was a big part of the character uh, of lorenzo especially and and a lot of his conversations with calergo calogero c big c mm-hmm. little yeah. c um so i mean they they that that wove that was woven into you know key moments important mm-hmm. moments to the characters individually and um, and collectively yeah like on the bus and whatnot righty, let's get into the special effects uh, blood packs maybe that's about it right everything else was very just practical mm-hmm. um, you didn't see that, much that, there was one there was one CG effect. Uh, when they put Jojo the whale in the bathroom with that other guy, the bad luck guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, funny, that, dude. That, that um, was, and then they put the third guy in there. The explosions, the fire, all of that stuff that they were doing towards the end of the film, that riotish, that riotous time at the end of the film, that was all practical. All, you know, I don't think any of that was CG. It didn't look Might CG. Be miniatures. Um, yeah, or, maybe, yeah, but it looked legit. Archive. It looked like that's still practical. Yeah, it's it looked not, great. Yeah, I mean, it it, it also. It was all this was recorded on film as well. So yeah. I mean, there's no digital. So um, you know, so it it all has a very okay with some CG stuff, especially the crap from like that looks like it was made on Windows 98 yeah. or looks like Windows 98 in general. You know, those uh, let's just call them like Beast Wars. You know that. Austin, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh where god, it, it's like wow, this is a Nintendo 64 game. Uh, none of this, none of that here, because everything, you know, as we just said, looks legit, looks, it was all filmed on the same type of medium yeah. as well, the same media. So, you know, they did a good job. It's not like they can do extensive processing in 1993. I mean, Unreal Engine 1 was not a thing. Mm-hmm. Not that here I go talking like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I doubt they used Unreal Engine, um, you know. But, no, but yeah, we weren't we weren't as advanced at that time yet, just yet, right? Because I mean, Jurassic Park is just right around the corner, or or around this time specifically. So, uh, this you know, past summer. So this came out in September. Jurassic Park was yeah. the summer. So the stuff's there, right? But not for this kind of film. They're not looking to no. do any of that here. And everything no. we're seeing was going to be practical, and it did look good. I think you know, there's nothing I can think of off the top of my head where I was just again everything about this movie. I felt like I was in the era. Nothing really took me out of it um, from the acting to the plot, to the the soundtrack and down to the special effects, what little they had. Let me put it in perspective for you about the effects. This movie was 10 million budget. And wow, like, that's nothing. That's like an indie film now. It's less than an indie film. Wow. But that's like De Niro. Uh, that's securing the rights, writing it, getting De Niro. He wrote, he directed it or well, he co-wrote, mm-hmm. he adapted it with Palminteri, but so he got paid for that. He got paid for acting in it. He got paid for directing in it. Mm-hmm. And with uh, Tribeca, he got paid to distribute it. There you go. Um, you know, and the rich keep getting richer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but do kidding. it if that's the art you're putting out, man. If you're putting yeah. this kind of stuff out there, not like, not to, not to take away from Michael Bay stuff, but Michael Bay, you know, like that's just, that's, that's just, that's his, so surface. Whereas something like is this explosions. is, yeah, it's surface. Whereas this is like, there's heart in this movie. There's lessons to be learned. There's just it's so about much about the people, not what people you can blow up. Yes, 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 exactly. Uh, so let them keep it, making it. So here's here's my finer. Here's my point. Ten million, no CG. Jurassic Park, groundbreaking when it came to CG, right? Mm-hmm. Budget of sixty-three million dollars. Also, John Williams probably isn't cheap. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Neither is Steven Spielberg or or any ILM or. <laughs> but you know who was at the time? Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. That's right, mother. All right, let's move on to our final thoughts on this movie. Uh, yeah, dude, for me, I'm just going to go straight up and talk about my final thoughts and my score. We're going to score this out of five. What did we say? Five bus tickets. Mm-hmm. Five bus tickets. 
Um, I, I haven't hidden it from the beginning of the show is that I love this movie. It's been, it's one of these movies I have watched over and over. I have very warm feelings and, you know, memories of the first time watching it. But to me, like I said, just, just a little bit ago, I think this is a good movie and that it's, it, it, it's something that other people should see because it's a movie that has heart. It has a move. It's a movie that speaks to family. It speaks to loyalties. It speaks to lessons, life lessons, you know, learning from one's mistakes, living up to one's mistakes in decision-making, um, you know, not going with the crowd. Like, like he's got to make a decision. Does he, you know, treat people a certain way because of the color of their skin, because that's the way his friends are acting. Or does he go by the way his parents have taught him how to just be a good person. Right. Um, and then dude, I mean, it's got mob stuff in it. So I'm in, you know, and it's got mob stuff where it's done well and it's not like hokey or it's, it's done well. So I was definitely in that. We were watching it, loved watching it again. And for me, the rating that I'm giving this, I'm going to give it 4.5 bus tickets, four and a half bus tickets for me, because acting is on point on almost everyone on it. Soundtrack, everything we talked about, loved it. I thought you would go higher. Yeah, I wasn't going to give it a full five because it still doesn't hit the level of like, say, The Godfather. You know what I mean? But it's still right up there as, uh, as, as a solid, solid if you're looking for a decent mob film, it's still got enough of that in this to make it a mob film. But man, there's just so much more to it. Like I said, it's more of a, 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 a relate the father son relationship kind of a film. So I'm going to echo a lot of what you said, but I'm also going to back it up with some fact. Boom. So it opened in, at the end of September 29th, 1993 uh, to 1077 theaters Opening weekend grossed 3.7 million in 1993. So, uh, yeah, so let's look at inflation calculator just for grins. I should have done this already. If I click this button and I click over here and then I type this here, I'm stalling for time. Uh, if purchased an item for what did I say, 3.17 million, 3.7 million. This is welcome to the mind of a madman, by the way. So that would be the equivalent of. 6.99 million in mm -hmm. today's figure. So effectively wow. double. Yeah. And that means that the 10 million budget would go to about 20 million, an indie film, as you, as you put it earlier. Um, and, and domestically 17.3 million. So it made its money back and then some, um, but in 93, it was all word of mouth, newspaper prints, word of mouth, including phone calls, no emails at the time, unless you're in the military. Uh, no text messages, no cell phones. The second you walk out, yeah. no Twitter. Sorry, kids. There was a time when Twitter didn't exist. Yep. No TikTok. Nope. Thankfully, if only we could go back to that time. Uh, amongst other things, there was nowhere to globally voice yourself unless it was on TV or if you had a big phone tree um, or you wrote a letter. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave the film a 97% based out of 30 reviews. And it really set the stage for De Niro to be a director. I think he did a very good job. Um, do you know what film he directed after this by chance? No, what was it? There's a lot of words on this thing. Anyway, he, he also directed other films beyond this one. What they are, couldn't tell you um, because I didn't, I don't know. But it, I, it's, it's a very solid, I don't want to say effort. It's a very solid, um, it's, it's something that is very good in the way that it was directed. It got the right emotional responses. Um, you know, the, the best casting for a feature film. It was nominated uh, for the Ar Artuzio Ar Artizo Award mm -hmm. in 94. Best Young Artist Award nominee for the nine-year-old C, uh, Francis Capra. Your favorite, your breakout star. My boy. And uh, this is, uh, the Jordy Award in 96 for Best Foreign Actor. Chaz Palminteri. That's a, that's a weird one. But anyway, um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, De Niro's first directorial film, uh, Chaz Palminteri's life story, his first written film, I would imagine, or, uh, I mean, and he's had time to refine it over the course of time. I mean, up until this point, he had been doing um, his one man show since 89. So it's four years that he could, you know, modify it and, and which in, in if you listen to that interview chris I'm, i would imagine i haven't listened to it yet oh i plan but, on it but the uh, the last one that i heard him do a couple of years back he continues about 
modifying it just a little bit here and there. The dialogue and a lot of the other things still remain the same, but certain things, certain looks, certain, you know, as, as you remember um, over the course of time or remembering things over the course back, of time yeah. is a little hard to do. Um, oh, De Niro directed The Good Shepherd, which was a Matt Damon vehicle. About, Don't remember that one. Uh, he was married to Angelina Jolie for a while. It was a spy movie. A spy yeah, movie. I don't think I saw it. Matt Damon wore glasses and a hat. <laughs> it helps, right? Um, but it's, um, you know, the story was great. It was very engaging. Uh, it had a lot of relatable items, relatable things that anyone can, well, relate to. You know, uh, I, that, you know, maybe not everything. Um, but I mean, I, I can't relate to, like I said before, a murder in front of my house or my building. Uh, I can relate to dating someone outside of my race. Uh, I can, I can't relate to, actually, I can relate to a friend of mine dying in a vehicle fire. Hmm. Um, boy, geez, way to bring it down, Sean. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and I can't relate to the gang life. <laughs> not, not my thing. Life. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of things that a lot of different, it, it catches a lot of different uh, walks of life in, in everything that happens in here. And, you know, I, I just think the story can hit home on not every level, but a lot of levels for a lot of different people. So, you know, I think that, you know, all things told, I mean, and, and echoing what you said, Chris, it's for me, I'm going to echo it's four and a half out of five for me as well. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. There we go. That's a Bronx tale for you folks. Next week, we're coming back with another Robert De Niro vehicle. This one is, uh... <laughs> and there's Robert De Niro in this one. Yes. This one, uh, I was telling you off, off before we started that I haven't seen this movie since it came out on DVD for the first time. I was living with a buddy who was into these kinds of movies too. And this, like, he, this is one of his favorite movies. And so he bought it on DVD. I watched it with him and I thought it was good at the time. Let's let's revisit it and see how I think about it now. I'm talking about heat. She got something else on the side? No. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know what you're doing. Remember Jimmy McElwain on the yard used to say, you want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. Remember that? De Niro and Pacino, back at it. And let's throw a wild card in there. Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. The Fresh man has... out of prison. No, I don't know. When did he get out of prison and start acting? I don't even know. Late you know 70s. Oh, okay. So he's been, I, he's been out I know for a that while. because he did an interview with that on that same radio show uh, where he talks about w at will, candidly. You bring oh, it up. Yeah. You yeah. might bring it up. But he yeah. was a stunt double and taught people how to box in movies. It's nice. And then he went into movies and they're like, look at this guy's face. He could He's be a bad perfect. guy in any movie ever. Yeah. Yeah. I want to start seeing where it switches over, where we see him as the good guy now. Right. But like, he's the good guy, like, like where he's but like protecting he's the, the little kid, you know, from the bad guys. Uh, wasn't that Spy Kids 3D? It feels like it, right? <laughs> I think, well, you know, okay. Or let's, let's put him in like Tooth Fairy too. Uh, <laughs> he's like you a comic relief him? now that he's older. He's awesome, dude. I love Danny Trejo. I really do. I celebrate the man's work. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, was it the was it what was that Tarantino Grindhouse? Wasn't he in yes. Grindhouse? Well, there but, was he did the so it was the fake trailer on Grindhouse, yes. and then they actually made the movie about it, Machete. That's right. But you know where you know where that character comes from? No. Spy Kids 3D. <laughs> Get out. Are you serious? Dead serious. Yeah. The same character. Okay. We, I have to watch. I've never watched Machete. So I'm going to have to give that a shot, dude. Okay. We're going to do a month of the Machete. The, <laughs> I'm sorry. Machete uh, lineage at some point. I'm not writing it down because we, I don't know that we need to do that in any, you know, yeah. act of urgency. But I that's think, awesome. Actually, I am going to put it on, put it on the back burner, right? At some yeah. point when we're like, what do we want to do next? We're going to get into that. Yeah, when, but anyway, whenever we run out of movies. There you go. Uh, anyway, we're going to see you guys next week. Again, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to head over to BICBP-radio.com. Check out some of the other podcasts on the network. Um, before we get out of here, I know we got Delta Plus on the horizon. Sean, what do you got to tell the people? Well, Delta Plus, Epsilon, and there's another one too. Hooray! They're, they're uh, vaccine 
uh, it's a sorority suspect. house of it's a sorority house of of illnesses out there. Jeez, same illness. So it's like it's like um, sorority. It's like that row. episode of Treehouse of Horror where <laughs> Homer kept cloning himself in the hammock, and eventually, the original Homer from the Tracy Ullman show pops out, yep. and then Peter Griffin pops out too. <laughs> like those are the bad that, ones. That's you gotta watch out for those. Oh God. Uh, uh, but yeah, just be safe. Be smart. Help protect your fellow man uh, and woman and other. Uh, however you identify and um you know if someone says if someone asks you something nice be nice about it yeah i gotta say i'm gonna echo that man uh we're trying to go back to cons and go to shows again we want to enjoy it you know we went through a year where everybody had to close down because things got horrible you saw a lot of people lose their livelihood a lot of people lost money a lot of people couldn't do what they wanted to do let's not have that happen at this time around so let's uh you know let's let's just do what we got to do to make sure we can get back to life as normal and if I can echo Dalton, be nice until it's time to not be nice. There you have it. It is now time to unsilence your phones. <laughs> <laughs>